are listening to the Down the Wormhole podcast, exploring the strange and fascinating relationship between science and religion. This week, we are exploring how that relationship gets worked out in real life with one of the current Sinai and Synapses fellows. Sinai and Synapses is a two-year fellowship committed to elevating the discourse surrounding religion and science, and where the five of us first met. So, without further ado... Well, our guest today is a Calgary-based writer, teacher, and pastor. His first book, The Day Metallica Came to Church, Searching for the Everywhere God in Everything, looks for glimpses of God in pop culture. His second, Every Job a Parable, What Walmart Greeters, Nurses, and Astronauts Tell Us About God, listens for God's work, words at work. His third book, which is still in process, is God Speaks Science, How I Learned to Practice God's Empirical Presence. Since 2011, he's participated in four John Templeton Foundation subgrants exploring how to preach scientific texts. So today I'd like to welcome the Reverend John Van Sloten. Thank you so much for joining us today. Zach, thank you for having me. Yeah, so... You planted a church in February, didn't you? Yeah, we just figured the timing was right and uh, had all <laughs> kinds of hopes, hopes and dreams for starting a new church. And then five weeks into it, we shut the whole thing down and now we're going, now what? Oh my goodness. I cannot even imagine. As a pastor yeah. of a 60-some-year-old church, it's been, it's been confusing enough. What's it been like to start a church and then immediately change everything about it? Yeah, well, I planted a church 25 years ago in Calgary, um, stopped about three years ago, and I'm now jumping back in uh, late in life. And uh, so I know I, I, I know I, I, I've done it once, so I know what it can look like in terms of uh, the normal process. But you throw the pandemic in, and then another qualifier for this is uh, an existing group of 25 seniors who were the remnant community who were like uh, throwing the long ball by calling a church planter and trying to get this thing going again. So there's there, all these complicating factors uh, are are making it hard. Like um, I, I've always loved um, the online thing, and we've done lots of uh, media and lots of the sermons I've preached over the years have been uh, picked up by the news. And so I'm I'm not worried. I love kind of preaching into a, a camera. So I think we're able to produce a pretty good product that gets out there. And then couple that with uh, some of the crazy things we preach about, like the theology of wearing a mask or the uh, the parable, the vocational parable of frontline workers um, uh, and some of the stuff I've written about in my books. That that tends to get people's attention, uh, connects them to our uh, YouTube page or Facebook page or whatever page. And uh, we've been able to grow our church without people ever coming to our church. So... Um, like I think our attendance is sort of running an average of a uh, hundred or so people every Sunday watching things and connecting and talking to us, so they seem to be real people. Um, but I have no idea. I have no idea. I have no idea how to how to get this thing going. Like uh, here, we're starting a church. We'd like to invite you, but you can't come. Um, come into our space, but there's no space. Uh, it's. <laughs> so it literally will, as it always has to be, be a God thing for this to work because I, I on the surface, it seems uh, a totally untenable proposition. So can I follow up? I, you, John, I love 
your enthusiasm for it, especially your comment about how you've always enjoyed preaching in this format, you know, looking into a camera with a microphone. So, you know, I'm not, um, you know, I'm a, an academic. Uh, I don't mind being in formats like this, but I do help lead services for my church every Tuesday night um, on Facebook Live. And so I'm just curious, what is it about it that you love so much? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, my first internal response is the ugly answer. <laughs> that I don't know. There's a, there's there's an innate capacity, um, and I don't know why. Um, because I know lots and lots of pastor friends of mine hate hate the camera. They hate this whole digital time, and uh, it just doesn't feel natural because you can't see real real people. But um, I uh, uh, the amplifying uh, potential of it. The uh, I I feel comfortable um it i'm a bit of an actor i guess as a preacher right and hopefully not an inauthentic one but um i don't need to see people's eyes in order to communicate with them i i feel like i can and and i think i have an imagination that can actually see people um listening or watching to this as i'm doing it and so i i I love sundays i can do them in church sanctuaries and have done that for 30 years but um I think, uh, have you ever seen uh, the King's speech where, you know, he's yeah, giving yeah. a speech at the end and then all these people are listening? Like, I, I, I do that. Like, I am really talking to people um, like that in my mind. And I, I guess that makes it easier. And then, yeah, well, this 59-year-old handsome mug is just good on tele. No, I'm, I'm much <laughs> better on radio. <laughs> we'll make sure to include a picture in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> well, I just, I... I have to say, you know, especially now in the time we're in where most things are happening virtually, you know, I'm a professor, I teach future teachers how to teach science. Many of my former students who are now teachers are doing it virtually uh, because North Carolina, most school systems are that way. My children, I mean, school just started this week. My children do it virtually. We're going back hybrid. There's a chance we may go virtual at some point. Um, And so for teachers, especially, especially you know, speaking for myself as a science teacher, you know, I need that one on that human interaction. You know, I, I don't mind being in front of the camera, but I just, there's something really special about being face to face with them. But I love your, your enthusiasm for it because it kind of, I think it's something that can help other pastors and religious leaders, but also people like teachers and others to have that mindset that you are describing. Does that make sense? Yeah, and to uh, another one's coming, a reason that's coming to mind, too, uh, um, as a deeply motivated, um, I don't like the word evangelist, but I mean, somebody who really wants to do church for people who don't go to church, um, uh, the idea of throwing it online where all kinds of people who are asking all kinds of questions about what life is about and how am I going to do this and something to hang on to, um, the idea that, that this medium can have that kind of reach um, and and meet people in places, unexpected places that you could never go or ever, ever look into people's eyes. Um, okay. that, that is a huge draw for me. Well, that's something I, I definitely wanted to touch on um, just in the way that you described this new church plant and the way that I've read it described in the local papers. It keeps coming out that your sermons are different that the way the church is organized is different. One of the articles I had read was uh, made a special point to say that before you preached about the uh, the parable of the sower, that you were in touch with uh, 
some soil scientists and you have uh, what is a psychologist who preaches sometimes for you and yeah. um, you joked about having to uh, provide mental health coaching after after some of your sermons but you keep bringing this up that there's something different about the way or maybe the subject matter um, of what your church is addressing uh, maybe you could you could unpack that a little bit is there something are there are there topics that people want to hear but nobody is talking about I suppose there are, but uh, that I don't go searching for those topics and then figuring out a way to make sermons uh, around those. Um, it, for me, it started uh, yeah 25 years ago as I was starting in the first church plant and uh, was preaching. At that time, Willow Creek was a big church in Chicago and still is, but I mean, everybody yeah. was kind of tracking with this vision, right, of moving from relevance to revelation and, you know, start where people are at. And so we were doing that gig and using movie clips and audio clips from music and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then one day it dawned on me that um, – that these clips and all of this creational product, all of these things that fill our world that are the creations of image bearers, um, that those things may have some kind of secondary or tertiary revelatory um, uh, power that God may actually be speaking through the King's speech or through um, the nature of frontline workers over the last six months, et cetera, et cetera. So I initially, um, after that sort of pendulum swing or that tipping point, um, started listening um, to creation and a big capital C definition of that in with new ears and so, um, you know, in terms of science, and you guys talk about that a lot, I am, I really do believe that the world was made by God. And I, with Abraham Kuyper, the theologian, believe that everything that is in the cosmos was a thought in the mind of God before it ever came to be. And uh, that, that includes scientists who are made in the image of God. Um, Kepler was... Uh, talked a little bit about and now gets quoted as saying that he thought his thoughts after God. Um, so scientists' empirical sensibilities and wiring are reflective in some mysterious way of the empirical mind of God. And then all that science is, in terms of its methodology, that that's reflective as a product of an image bearer, an empirical image bearer of the nature of God. And then all that science is unpacking in terms of uh, the natural world, uh, that that too is a text um, through which God reveals God's self. Uh, I grew up in a Reformed uh, theological tradition, which held on to the, the confessions, and the Belgic Confession says in Article 2 that God speaks through two books, the Bible and creation. And, you know, I've discovered since lots of churches believe that. Um, but I guess what what I've been doing and what, what puts gas in my tank is God really is. Um, and so these numinous moments I was having engaging truth and beauty and, and all that is good and right and true in the world ended up becoming revelatory moments, which ended up becoming alongside the scripture, um, scriptures, of course, uh, Sunday sermons and books. I was just talking with someone about this recently. Because most churches will say that you know, the heavens proclaim the glory of God, right? That it's all over through Scripture that uh, you can know God through creation. 
And we typically just mean that in like the sunsets and baby birds and nice, happy, good things. But I was I was uh, talking with my dad because I was at at his house and there was a what are they called? Um, Those caterpillars, those green caterpillars with the hooks on their backs that eat tomato plants. And it was covered in these little white bumps, almost looked like hairs. And uh, so I looked it up using the Seek app, which um, thank you, Dr. Scott, the paleontologist, for introducing me to that, and discovered that those little white bumps on them were the eggs of a parasitic wasp that injects its venom and a virus into the caterpillar, which then goes into the caterpillar's brain, uh, makes it not turn into a chrysalis, and just to eat more, to slow down its metabolism, to not excrete anything. So it just balloons up to the slow moving balloon of food so that those little wasps can hatch, burrow into it, and then eat all of the insides while it's still alive, molt a couple of times, and then burst out, and then go do the same thing to as many caterpillars as they can find. And I was like, like, well, you know what? It's like a kid's message in our church. (laughs) I'm like, you know, declaring the glory of God is is real easy when when you're talking about a sunset. But when nature is brutal and confusing and seemingly not so great, um, how can we find God in that? Yeah. So the perennial problem of pain, problem of evil. How can God be loving in that context? And yeah, so even as everybody who preaches from the scriptures and preaches an Old Testament God and Old Testament stories has to struggle and work their way through that and then getting to the end of it going, hopefully, honestly, say, I have no idea. Um, I, I can't explain um, all of that. Um, and 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 hopefully, uh, uh be able to hold the the dissonance of that and the paradox of those things. Um, yeah, I still go out and I I, I will preach uh, how God is positively, beautifully reflected in these ways. Um, often, uh, in my experience, I've learned over the years as as you do both, right? Sort of bring the yeah, but in of a story like uh, what you said alongside the but look at the glory here. Um, th- that has those are more effective messages than just cherry picking. Uh, the good stuff. So, yeah, I don't have an answer for uh, for that <laughs> poor caterpillar. <laughs> um, um, My dad's answer but, was sometimes God is terrifying too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, exactly. I preached on the giant squid, and uh, you know, one of the elements, uh, the search for the giant squid, there was a Japanese zoologist named Su- Su- Sudemi. Uh, Kubidora, and he's been looking his whole life to actually see one in situ, right? In the ocean, they wash up, but they've never seen them live. So they finally find one. There's a BBC program on it. It shows him in this uh, little submersible. He sees this. They turn the lights on, and uh, and the squid has like 10, 12-inch diameter eyes. It's the biggest eye of any creature on Earth, right? And 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 so I was kind of playing on uh, that reflective of a god who sees and tsunami seeing what he's meant to see his whole life. And then it was really beautiful. But giant squid, like they rip their prey apart, and they're like <laughs> they're 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 nuts. <laughs> they th- that's true too, right? Um, so so it, you talk about both, and you acknowledge the the mystery of the evil and the brokenness. 
Um, but I, I guess to answer your question more concisely, um, lots of people um, are talking or have talked about what you bring up. Um, fewer, fewer, in my experience, are, are uh, kind of highlighting the glory. And I think when you do highlight the glory, and and I'm a bit of a mystic, ha- know God in that place, I, I think you'll have more with which, just as a human being, to engage the mystery and the questions. I don't think that gets you uh, an answer um, to the to the problem, but, um, but yeah, anyway, this is is where we've chosen to live, right? So I'll preach on the beauty of DNA repair and, uh, get involved with a researcher on that and have a very long conversation, make a cool little sermon. But yeah, the question, why is why does DNA break down? Why did God make Mm. a world where DNA breaks down and has to be repaired 400 trillion times a second? Hmm. I don't know. Can I ask a follow-up on something you just kind of threw in there? You refer to yourself as I'm a bit of a mystic. And I I yep. think I saw Zach <laughs> I smile because he knows that. <laughs> yeah. First of all, I loved your response. Just going to throw that out there. But I really would love, can you unpack that a little bit for us? When you say I'm, um, a, mis- I'm a bit of a mystic, what does that mean to you? Yeah. I mean, my uh, eschatology, um, my hope full eschatology is that one day, a new heaven and a new earth and all that is uh, living as it was always meant to be in perfect relationship with God um, all the time. Um, and so so we'll know God in our work, we'll know God in our walking, we'll know God in our uh, lab, we'll know God in, uh, in through all of our senses fully attuned uh, to what they were made to ultimately be attuned to. Um, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And and yeah, knowing God is Calvin, right? Is Genevan Catechism? What's uh, what is the what is the sole purpose of humanity? Is is to know God and enjoy God forever. So so I I I feel like when I preach a sermon um, on radiation physics and n- name name the precision with which generation after generation of increasing precision with which uh, radiotherapy is able to target what's broken and not hurt the good stuff around it. Um, And that points to a God who is infinitely more precise in terms of eradicating evil and will one day make all things new without wrecking everything else all around it. Um, I I feel God in the room. I I feel... um, I feel um, as good as I've felt singing a, a, a hymn or a, a Christian song or hearing a parable preached, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, the, that numinous moment is as real for me in, in connecting uh, God's revelation in creation um, as it is in those moments. So, yeah, I and, and that is very subjective, I know, and I'm, I'm learning over the years that not everybody engages the world the way you do, so you can't expect them. Like, sometimes you pull your hair out and you're going, why Why are you not f- seeing this and feeling this? Why are we not all <laughs> falling onto our faces after uh, we watched uh, that NASA recreation of a supernova on that Sunday, and the bass bins were turned up so high, the chairs were almost vibrating back through the gym. Like, why were why do, why were we not on the ground when we realized that that you know I, I just made the point about the Jesus 
through whom all things were made. The, the dying and resurrecting Jesus is the one through whom matter died, metaphorically, but it sort of died and then was resurrected um, through supernovas, um, starting with the Big Bang and only three elements. And now all of the elements that we have, that doesn't happen outside of the death and resurrection of stars and matter uh, through supernovas. Like, why, why are we not all in tears beside ourselves? Why has the world not come to faith um, once they've realized that there are 30 supernovas per second happening in our known universe right now? Um, hmm. So I'm in, in talking, I'm giving you an example as, no, it's uh, okay. as opposed to explaining it, but um, yeah, knowing God, sensing God's presence, knowing God more through through creational revelation. Well, your work Thanks. has, at least in your, your books, uh, your first book had to do with finding God in pop culture. You know, in, in the second one had to do with finding God in your vocation. Um, it seems like much of your work, your passion, what gets you going is uh, finding God in places where people don't usually see God. So I'm interested how your new book is going. Uh, good. Um, a little, uh, <laughs> I've been the lucky author. Uh, uh, yeah, sometimes you have to work to find a publisher, I've heard. Um, and I've mm -hmm. learned that lesson uh, through this one. Um, vocation, uh, nav press, yeah, vocation, faith, everybody wants to talk about that, right? And God and pop culture, there's always one more room for one more book of, <laughs> of the one million books that are out there right now. Uh, but science, they see as a, a limited audience. And uh, and um, I think that's part of it in the rejections I've got. But uh, I think I think the, this mystical part, because, um, you know, bringing a deep mystical perspective to uh, what is arguably the most empirical of topics um, and the juxtaposition of those two. Um, I've scientists have, um, for a, a big publisher that shall be unnamed, sent it out to readers and some scientists said, you know, they felt this was concordist. So you were just trying to find everything that science is already written into the Bible. And I'm going, no, 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 no. It's mystical. And I, and I went back and kind of explained it a bit more in the rewriting. Um, but yeah, still, uh. I so struggle to find a, a publisher. Um, I'm, I'm trying to write it in a way. Uh, my my uh, nav press, when they were looking at it, said, "Can you write it for the bottom shelf um, for people?" Right, and and so what they mean by that is keep it accessible, right? And mm. I thought, oh, I can't. Like I th I said, I would. I thought I would. I thought I wrote it, and then it ends up being, you know, IVP Academic is looking at it and rejecting it. So. Um, it's it's a science it's it's a and yet the potential of people being able to engage science as a tool through which they can engage god through creation um uh, to me that's a pretty inviting ask for a believer of passion who wants to know god and read everything that god has written um so i i think there's lots of potential but i think small market um kind of tough juxtaposition of mysticism and science. Um, uh, maybe that's held it back a little bit, but now I've got a little publisher and, and we're going ahead. So I'm hoping within a year, uh, this thing will be out there. That's totally so cool. not a small audience. I cannot tell no. you how many pastors have come to me saying, 
I've got this confirmand in my church who uh, he says he doesn't believe in God. He believes in science. Right. Or I've people come up to me and they say, well, my grandson, my son, my my cousin, my neighbor, me, whatever. Can you come talk to them? Because I don't know what to say about this. I feel so unprepared to talk about science. And um, I feel like they, they are compatible, but I don't really know if they are. And I don't like this is so many people are having these questions. And it has come up so often in my ministry that it's almost like a side gig, <laughs> just consulting mm. with people. And mm. I can't, I, 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 I don't understand how the rest of the world and then the publishing industry, they think that this is not a, a, a big issue. I, if we're not teaching science in our churches, and if we're not teaching science to our pastors and seminaries, then we are quickly going to be obsolete uh, but it's yeah. been trending that way anyway, but we'll have nothing to say to anyone if we can't speak that language. And I know you've done some work with the, uh, at uh, Ambrose Seminary, right? With the Science for Seminaries yeah. grant? Yeah, yeah. Going, uh, <clears throat> going out for beers on Thursday to uh, – uh, we were talking uh, uh, online last week, and I said uh, – uh, <clears throat> pardon me – regarding our Science for Seminary grant, they were saying, hey, any other ideas with what we might want to do with some of this money? So I throw out my always answer, which is, what about helping pra- pastors preach on this? And then mm. two of the uh, professors who teach courses at Ambrose jumped in and said, uh, uh, you can come and do that in my class. And then the other jumped in and said, no, 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 you can come and do that in my class. So <laughs> to, your, to your people are asking the question, they must know that too, right? Um, or be mm-hmm. hearing that that exact thing. So, so I am, you know, I've uh, I went into a few uh, different classes and kind of followed uh, th- those weren't preaching classes. So I did some stuff on uh, spiritual formation and neuroscience in one class, and just talked about how our brain is wired uh, physiologically um, in terms of studies that have, have been done in terms of uh, being able to know God. Um, then went into a an education class and how we learn and try to take all that same research and fit it there. But yeah, this meeting on Thursday, um, uh, that this is getting right into my wheelhouse. If, if, if we can create a mechanism, I mean, I would love to, uh, I pitched, uh, the Templeton Foundation on behalf of Ambrose uh, before I told Ambrose. No, I told Ambrose just before I sent it in, but <laughs> tried to get a little grant just to focus on preaching because it's it's big enough, right? And I think there is yeah. there is a market, and um, and uh, and I'm I'm passionate for it. And now I've done it forty or fifty times, so there's some material that can help bring people up to speed, and hopefully this book will help. So we've got some tools for that. So. Yeah, hopefully I'll be doing it a bit with Ambrose, but uh, I think it needs a bigger, uh, a bigger table uh, to really play out. We're applying for the grant too. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't, uh, we didn't quite make the cut last year. Uh, we are so we're we're applying again. Uh, we've got all kinds of big plans. Uh, I do anyway for uh, integrating this into all kinds of classes and having continuing education for pastors, um, especially integrating it into DMIN programs, and um, which, for those listening who are not in ministry, is doctorate of ministry. It has nothing to do with exorcisms or demons. It's just an unfortunate acronym. <laughs> Wait, it doesn't? I'm just kidding. I'm just, <laughs> I mean, it could. You I'm could speaking for the audience. Demons, I guess. That. 
Yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like you have this uh, broad interest in 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 the in the universe. I've heard you talk about astronomy and neuroscience and biology and a whole bunch of other ologies so far. Um, is there one discipline that attracts you more, that inspires more awe, that you just consistently get drawn back to than others? Yeah. Um, looking at the book, uh, I've realized that I have no chemistry in there. So the, the anti-answer <laughs> to your question is that chemistry hasn't happened, but... Um, um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, or a couple of months ago, when we were still meeting as a church, uh, a newbie came up to me and he said, uh, "I'm a, I'm a former chemist from Nova Chemicals, and uh, I discovered subsequently that he discovered something, um, found a catalyst to move this into this, and it's now a billion-dollar industry. And when you talk about, um, you know, God." having something to do with all of that that just intrigues me and would you be interested would you be interested in pre preaching a sermon on plastic or uh, or on <laughs> catalysis catalysis and then a second message on sustainability issues and uh, the ethics of plastic um, and I said yeah so um, uh, I think the answer to your question is whoever shows up to our church and is a scientist has <laughs> honestly <clears throat> I, I had a nephrologist show up uh, six years ago, and yeah, sure enough, within six months, we preached on God's revelation through the kidney. And we actually pulled the entrails out of some people on state. No, we didn't do any of that. <laughs> <laughs> you could have totally gone with that, and I, I am the gullible one, and I would have been like, man, I don't know if I want to go to that church. So. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I, I mean a lot of biology, uh, a lot of physics, um, but it is it is sort of what what shows up, what's close to home. Um, a book shows up, and you just you read it, and you go, okay, like that that has to be preached. Um, so it, it it's it's as haphazard as that. I'm not a scientist. I start my book, uh, science book off with, uh, you know, I was the guy who barely made it through, right? Who, huh. who almost failed uh, the first year university phys physics course he needed for his architecture program. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm not a scientific guy, but this greater motivation to experience God through what science talks about um, and reveals is enough to pull me into it. So I think that may, maybe that's helpful too, right? In terms of pastors who think they're just not wired that way. There are a lot of scientists, theologians out there for whom this conversation is perhaps more natural, but it can also happen for a, for a pot smoking non-scientist high schooler who barely got into university <laughs> and was into the arts. <laughs> maybe especially so. <laughs> Yeah, it helps with the mysticism. Not anymore. That was back in high school. As my wife says, uh, okay, have fun. Don't worry. You got lots. This is where you live. But just don't swear and don't make, make, make drug references. So during this, uh, during this time, this pandemic time, we've all been uh, – shut up in our homes and had to close down our churches um, as it, well, go online anyway, go out into the digital wilderness and been surrounded by just scary bad things all the time. Um, 
where are you finding inspiration? Where are you still finding God and good things in, in your life? Um, yeah, for good or ill, often uh, the scaffolding, that theological uh, thinking that brings me comfort is often where sermons are born and then they become things that you share with others. So, uh, um, yeah, in relation to the science, um, uh, I had a moment um, maybe six months ago now before I started in the new church and was in a pretty deep hole and uh, and started to realize that uh, when you're feeling alone and um, inadequate um, and needing a sense of God's presence and strength, um, creation as a text can be a pretty ubiquitous uh, series of reminders that you're, you're not alone. And so I was walking down the sidewalk and... Uh, thinking about the nature of my knees, which I had preached on a couple of years ago, and just the, what's structurally going on with my knee with every step. And then I uh, recalled uh, a video I'd seen online, which asks people watching the video, how fast are you moving right now? And then begun, begins to tell them how fast the earth is spinning, how fast the earth is orbiting, how our solar system's moving within, et cetera, et cetera. So we're all moving at like 1.3 million kilometers per hour right now. So I was thinking about that. <laughs> and then I went deeper into the DNA thing and, you know, these countless these trillions of repairs that are just these these bio graces that are like happening every second in my body and and then looked at the tree and remember the tree branch thing and and uh you know within 15 minutes uh uh walking down 45th street um i was surrounded by glory and these these creational parables were just flooding into me and populating my psyche and being and mind and and I forgot, uh, you're, uh, the, the God's presence was, was so palpable that the, the fears or the anxieties or the uncertainties, um, yeah, they, they were found proper perspective again mm-hmm. for me. So, so this has really become, a, um, it's not just an abstract intellectual exercise. It's not... God here in the scriptures and God here in creation, look, they kind of match or echo or rhyme with each other. Um, it's, a, it's a presence that makes a personal difference that is transformative. And yeah, like I said about the eschatology, I think it's the, the, that moment's a foretaste of a future uh, glory. Did you use the word biograces? Yeah. To talk about your DNA repairing itself? Yeah. That's a wonderful word. Well, uh, common grace is a big theological construct in our tradition, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, this is a very common grace. Every second, right now, in the three of us, repairs, repairs, trillions of repairs. I've got Mm -hmm. you. You're mine. You belong to me. Everybody listening um, uh, whose knees are working, probably a lot of them for whom that's the case and whose uh, neural stress mechanisms are working. Um, I had a, a, ser- a sermon on neurons once, and uh, we, that was one of the early Templeton grants. And a 
a young neuroscientist in our church helped me with that. And then as we were having the celebratory, the big expensive celebratory dinner with wine and everything afterwards, which you tend to do with Templeton Grants, um, you, <laughs> her husband turns to me, who's also a scientist, and she, he says to her, tell me, tell him, tell him what just happened, right? And she just at 29 got published in Nature Neuroscience for a discovery that she had made based on standing on the shoulders of so many others. And she's so humble. But this, this neural stress reducing mechanism that people 60 years ago were only imagining existed, she finally saw it and wrote the paper and I just got published. And so uh, he, he, he shares that. She tells me about it um, within a month. Um, just before it actually got physically published, um, we were preaching it in church that Sunday. And so as it was coming out in Nature Neuroscience, it was being preached in a church that God has built uh, uh, some, a neural stress-reducing mechanism into our brains that um, essentially when the volume gets too high or there's too much activity, it, it, it releases, self-releases opioids that turns down the volume and quiets the pace. It's like a regulator, a, a neural uh, limiter that prevents us from losing our minds. And that's good to know that that's happening. Um, that would <laughs> be a good... That would be a good paper to read right alongside Psalm 23. And yeah, the Lord is my shepherd, so much so he caused humanity to evolve this for such a time as this. Hmm. That's wonderful. So yeah, as we are approaching the end of our talk today, I want to ask you a final question that I'm asking all of the current Sinai and Synapse Fellows. And that's, what is one thing that you wish everyone knew about the world? Yeah, um, that, that the world belongs to God and everything in it, including you. And it's a belonging that can evoke and lead to a knowing that can lead to you discovering what it means to be human, what it means to be you. <laughs> Uh, help you answer why you're here and give you enough strength to uh, deal with all the crap that's playing out and confusing everything right now. Hmm. Yeah, you belong to God, I guess the short answer. Thank you. Thank you for that. I feel like we needed to hear that. And uh, thank you for taking of your time to come and talk with us. Uh, we wish you all of the best way, way up there in Canada with your um, brand new church start, which had to go online, and your new book, which is uh, desperately needed, and your work in seminaries and all of the ways that you are bridging these gaps. Thank you for that work. Yeah. Oh, thanks. And thank, thank God for you guys, too. Like... Uh... I, I appreciate the ask and uh, yeah, so many cool people in our cohort who have different stories coming from different angles, different faith angles too, right? Like uh, what's beauty about science, what's beautiful about science and, and physical reality is it's a common, literally universal text for all of us. So it's a great table at which to connect mm. people. So appreciate the work you guys do. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.